Welcome to Health Now from WebMD. I'm your host, Carrie Gann. We have a great show today, but first, take a second to make sure you've subscribed to our show wherever you're listening to podcasts. It's the best way to make sure you don't miss any of our episodes. Thanks. Okay, let's get started. It's a scenario many people fear, an unexpected medical bill that's far more than what you can afford, sending you deep into debt. Nearly half of U.S. adults worry about surprise medical bills, and a recent poll showed that many people say they couldn't pay one that totaled $1,000. You might have seen news stories about absurd costs, like a $700,000 bill for spinal surgery, or a bill of more than $12,000 for a set of lab tests. Or maybe you've gotten a smaller bill for a procedure that you could swear your insurance should cover. On top of that, medical bills aren't always very clear. What are those tests and procedures? Did you really need all of them? It all adds to the sticker shock. And when you're sick or you need the ER, you need to take care of yourself. So when the bill rolls around, what are your options? We're talking about that today with Marshall Allen. He's the author of a new book called Never Pay the First Bill and Other Ways to Fight the Healthcare System and Win. He's also a reporter with ProPublica. Marshall, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me here, Carrie. You point out in your book that most people get a bill and just pay it, even if they have concerns or questions about it. You know, nobody wants a call from a debt collector. But give us a brief outline of what you should actually do when that happens. And obviously, (laughs) the title of your book is a spoiler here. Well, Carrie, I think the other problem that we have is that when many people get a medical bill, they actually can't pay it. Medical debt is one of the biggest problems we have in this country right now. They estimate that one in six Americans has medical debt in collections, which is absolutely astonishing. And I think what I've learned through 15 years of doing investigative reporting about the healthcare industry is that the the healthcare industry is not really what it seems. You you think that it is competent and often it is not. And we're just talking about the financial side here, but that's also true in the realm of quality and patient safety. But when we get a medical bill, we assume that it's accurate. I think that's maybe the first mistake that we make. But I've talked to many people who review medical bills for a living, and what they'll tell you is that almost all of them that they review are inaccurate. And there's various ways they can be inaccurate. And so when people get a medical bill, I call the book Never Pay the First Bill, which is obviously a provocative title, right? Right. But I'm not saying never pay your bills or that we shouldn't pay a fair price for services that we've received. But unfortunately, so many of the bills are inaccurate and so many of the bills are inflated or overpriced that we're being asked to pay something that is inaccurate and unfair. And so in my book, what I show people to do is how to really analyze that bill to make sure that it's accurate and that it's fairly priced and then what you should do about it if it's not. So for example, I got a bill for $250 this last summer. My son had had to go to an urgent care when we were on a road trip in Little Rock, Arkansas. 
And he, it was a minor thing. He had gone swimming in a lake and had a bad earache. And I got all paranoid about, you know, you read these stories about flesh eating bacteria. And oh, so, yeah. no kidding. you know, so he was in terrible pain. We were on the road and I was like, oh, okay, we should probably just have him checked out. So we went to the urgent care. Everything went fine. I paid a $40 copay. I get a bill in the mail a few weeks later for $250. And I thought that was kind of surprising because I, I have extremely expensive premiums, but I have no deductible. Mm-hmm. And I have a very, a very, what people would call rich benefits, which we could talk about the myth of rich benefits um, as well. But so I, I thought something was wrong here, but it said amount due $250, pay now $250, person responsible, Marshall Allen. I mean, if I hadn't have examined this bill, I would have obviously paid it. Well, I look at the bill though, um, and I was like, I don't think they even sent this to my insurance company. So I call my insurance company, and this is one thing, I mean, insurance companies get a lot of criticism, but one thing that they are pretty good at is answering the phone. They should have a phone number on the back of your insurance card or on the website where you can call and have them at least answer your question about a particular bill. And so I called and asked, and sure enough, this urgent care had not even submitted the bill to my insurance plan. Wow. And so if I just would have followed that bill, I would have paid the 250 and I would have overpaid for that. They still could have, by the way, submitted it to my insurance plan and gotten a, a, a double payment on it even. Mm. But I called the urgent care billing department and I said, hey, so, I, you know, because I mean, I'm kind of irritated by this and a little frustrated by it. And I also need them to submit it to insurance. So the woman said, oh, um, we'll send it to insurance. And I said, well, what happened here? And she goes, well, I'm not going to say that anybody made a mistake. And I'm like, well, of course someone made a mistake. It never even got submitted. And I think that's part of the problem. There's no accountability when mistakes do get made. And so consumers are always fighting an uphill battle, even to get these mistakes corrected. But we still need to check the bills and make sure that they aren't an error. I was really surprised when I was reading your book about how incredibly common medical billing errors are. I was just shocked by some of the statistics that you cited. Why is it that they're so common? Well, let me give you another one. So there are the sensational bills, you know, that are just flagrantly wrong. Like I've talked to bill reviewers who have seen multiple circumcisions done on the same child. (laughs) Wow. Obviously, you better not have more than one or you're having just the worst day of your life at at such a young age. What a tragedy, right? Right. (laughs) Or um, a hysterectomy performed on a woman who didn't have a uterus or, you know, pregnancy tests on women in their 80s. You know, Um, I I saw one of the records saying they weren't sure if the young boy was pregnant or not. You know, like the the, the records can be easily, easily full of um, errors. But a really common one that I think is fraudulent, frankly, is upcoding. So upcoding is what happens when a medical facility billing department will use a pricier code to explain a less complicated procedure. So for instance, when you go to your doctor's office or an emergency room, they're going to do an examination on you. If it's a very simple, basic case, that's going to be a level one examination. No medical complexity, no need to get an extended history of the patient, no need to do any complex medical decision making. So anyway, they have levels one to level five, five being the most complicated. So if you showed up with some emergency trauma accident, you know, that needed a long, lengthy examination and complicated care, 
that might be a level five. And so it could be a level one, level two, level three, level four, level five. Well, some places just routinely code everything as a level three or a level four or a level five, even though it might be the simplest type of case. And this is called upcoding. And it is fraudulent. You know, they are not allowed to just label whatever code they want to put on a visit without any accountability or without anyone asking questions. And this happens all the time. It is ubiquitous throughout the healthcare system. And the issue is, is that no one is really checking. So you would think that your insurance company would care, right? They're the ones processing the claim. They might even be paying the claim based on the premiums you sent them. But insurance companies, the dirty secret there is that they auto pay 95% or more of the claims without even looking at them, without even examining them. Wow. They just push them through the system by computer. As long as that claim is filled out properly, like it has a date, it has the NPI of the doctor or the hospital, it has the, you know, the diagnosis code, the procedure code, as long as it has those codes, the system just spits out a check to the hospital or the doctor or the other clinician there's no check in the system to make sure it's actually accurate. And that's why the real only check on the system can be the patient himself or herself who underwent the procedure. That patient is the only one who knows what happened, whether it was complicated or not, and then whether they're being overcharged. And so what I show in the book, the book is really a how-to guide. And my goal is to equip and empower patients to be much, much savvier healthcare consumers so that they don't get taken advantage of. Because right now the system is designed to exploit our sickness for profit. And I wish it wasn't that way. I wish I didn't have to write this book. But unfortunately, um, this system on the financial side, it's functionally predatory in the way it treats patients. And so we need to be on our guard. And we also need to arm ourselves, sadly, with like self-defense tactics so that we can be protected from overpaying. And the, the promise I make in the book is that if you deploy these tactics, you could save hundreds or thousands of dollars every single time you have a healthcare encounter, because there is so much hidden price variation. There are so many mistakes in the bills. And if you don't know how to be aware of that, you can easily walk right into these traps that are set up to take more money than should be taken from you and your family. Right. So let's talk about some of those steps. What are some of the first things you should do if you get a bill and you don't understand what's on it, you don't understand you know, why something is, why you're having to pay for something? Yeah, that's do a great you, question. Do you start by calling your insurance company if you have one, or should you start with the doctor's office or the clinic that you went to? So if you're just talking about the bill, I would say ideally, if you're only starting to think this way, once the bill comes, you're already kind of behind the curve. So I'll, I'll get to that. But before you even think about the bill, you want to be aware that about a third of all the care that's provided in the United States is unnecessary. And so there are a lot of studies that show the overtreatment epidemic in the United States. And so you want to make sure that the care that you receive is actually the care that you and your family need, not just something that's done 
to make you feel better or make you feel better about you know your kid getting a, an antibiotic when they don't need one, right? Right. I do um, have so, a, I do have a question to to dive into that a little. Yeah. Bit. So we can dive into that too. Okay. So let's yeah. just stick with the medical bill. Okay. So always get an itemized bill. You know, you wouldn't go to the grocery store and go through the checkout and just have them give you a receipt with one lump sum payment total on it. Like pay here, $250. And you're like, yeah, but I have a cart full of groceries. Like how much were the eggs? How much was the milk? You know, how much was the bread? You want to have those individual prices for every service that was provided. And the system is not really designed to do that. So get an itemized bill. That's your right as a consumer. Make sure it has the billing codes on it. You know, I mentioned those level one to level five codes. There's a medical code that describes every service or treatment that you received. You can easily look those codes up online and see what they mean. And I encourage everybody to do that. It really is not hard. You just type the code into Google or your other search engine and read the description of it and see if that code describes the service in an accurate way. Hopefully it does. But like I said, often it does not. And then you can also price those codes. So once you have the code, you can go to a website like fairhealthconsumer.org, which has the amount that insurance companies pay for these different medical codes and different services around the country. So you can look up what a fair price estimate would be in your zip code, for example. And so you can see, okay, I got this service at this hospital and here's the fair health consumer price. Another super empowering thing that happened on January 1st is the federal government created a rule that went into effect where hospitals are required to post their prices. They're required to post their cash prices, their Medicare prices, and their negotiated prices with every insurance company on their website for hundreds of common procedures and services and treatments, things That's like great a- because that is so mysterious. I mean, it's like nothing else that you would purchase. You you are agreeing to buy something or undergo something when you really don't know what the cost is. Yes, this is an incredible breakthrough, in my opinion, because all of a sudden it pulls back the curtain on all these hidden prices, and it it shows all of the secret price variation that people have never seen before. So I'll give you an example. I have a friend, um, she's become a friend because I've been helping her fight her medical bill. And she lives here in New Jersey. She went to a hospital and had a level three emergency room examination. She had United Healthcare. The United Healthcare negotiated payment rate for her level three emergency room visit was $5,800 just for, she ended up just getting stitches in her finger. It was not a complicated case at all. It shouldn't have been a level three to begin with. Wow. The Blue Cross negotiated rate was about $700. The Medicare negotiated rate for that same code was $230. And the cash price was $256. Oh my God. So in other words, if she would have walked in there and said, I have no insurance or I'd like to pay cash, She would have been charged $256 for that particular service. Instead, United Healthcare had given her a negotiated discounted rate of $5,800, 22 times more than the cash price. That is quite a difference. 
it's baffling. And that's why I always tell people also, always ask for the cash price. Find out what it costs in cash. You might be surprised. That cash price might be way lower than what you would have through your insurance plan. It might make more sense for you to pay cash. So who are you asking that question to? Is it is your doctor going to be able to answer that? Or would you be talking to like the office manager? Well, so yes, um, first of all, None of these things make sense if you're undergoing an emergency, right? I Certainly. Mean, um, you know, if you've been taken <laughs> to the emergency room. If you're unconscious, you can't yeah, ask questions. Yeah, exactly. So, so it doesn't work in that case. But actually, most medical care that we undergo is not emergency care. It's discretionary care. It's elective care. It's scheduled care. So, yes, I would call the billing department and um, ask them what the price is. Um, you can call, let's say it's an imaging center. You can call the imaging center and say, hey, my doctor has ordered a um, CT scan for you know, my abdomen or whatever it is. Ask for the billing codes. When your doctor orders something, ask to get that billing code because then once you have that billing code, then you can make a real apples to apples price check on things. And I know people will say, oh, this is too complicated. How could we ever do this? And I, I think what people need to understand is the money difference is unbelievably huge. You could go to a hospital MRI center and pay thousands of dollars for an MRI, or you could go to an independent imaging center and pay hundreds of dollars for an MRI. We are talking about a savings possibly of thousands of dollars just for doing a little homework and a little research on the front end. And the system is designed because they, they don't expect consumers to make those kinds of inquiries to find out how much things cost. And so let's say you go to your doctor and your doctor works for a clinic that's affiliated with the local hospital. Well, they are typically just going to route patients, refer them through that hospital system. Well, hospitals are notorious for overcharging for things that you could get much cheaper elsewhere because they add facility fees and they add all kinds of other fees to it. And maybe they have a big brand name, you know, so that you can be, we can easily be wooed by the marketing, right? Mm -hmm. You could get that same service possibly somewhere else, especially with lab work or imaging, you can get that somewhere else for a much lower price. Or maybe they could do, if it's a surgery, even you could go to a ambulatory surgical center that's a freestanding place and instead of going to the hospital and then you can avoid some of those big facility fees okay those are some great tips i and i i mean it's so easy to feel like you don't really have options so it's good to know that they're out there um so let's say you get a medical bill and you can tell that something is is not right how do you contest what you think is an error well, now we're getting into the nitty gritty of it, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that, first of all, you ask nicely, right? You call the billing department, you tell them this appears to be on here in error. This needs to be corrected. You can talk to your doctor or physical therapist or whoever it is and say, hey, somehow this bill ended up having a service on it that shouldn't be on it, or it was coded in a way that's more complicated. One way you can bolster your case is by getting a copy of your medical records. And it is a patient's right in every state in this country to get a copy of their medical records. And so if you, you read your medical records, there's a rule about medical records. They say, if it's not documented, it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. So in other words, not literally that it didn't happen, 
But you can check your medical record to see how they documented the care you received. And if they documented it as a simple, non-complicated case, and they build it as an extremely complicated case, or if your records don't document a certain service, but they build you for that service, they are not allowed by law to bill you for things that the record do not document. So getting your records is a very good idea. Um, they can charge you, some places do charge you, but you can urge them not to charge you, ask for an electronic copy, that's obviously a lot cheaper. So get the medical records and then call the billing department and ask them to please correct it. That's one thing you can do. I would not expect your insurance company to give you a lot of help. The insurance companies typically side with the providers or the hospitals. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing you can do is ask nicely. But if they don't comply, and often they won't, I think the greatest tool in our war chest, so to speak, is small claims court. So I have a chapter in the book about how to sue in small claims court, because small claims courts are established in every state all over the country, and they're designed to empower consumers so that we can stand up against much more powerful individuals or entities that are unfairly taking advantage of us. The limits in a lot of states are actually quite high. They're as high as, I think the highest is $25,000 in Tennessee, $20,000 in Texas. In other states, they're lower. Where I grew up in Colorado, it's 7,500. Okay. Um, and in that New means Jersey. like a, a claim, you know, this yeah, that, bill that, that you're means, contesting the amount. That means, yeah, small claims court, you don't have to have an attorney and you can settle and sue for any amount up to that limit. And so it's tremendously empowering for consumers because if you're being treated unfairly and if you've gotten an itemized medical bill, you've looked up the billing codes so you can see how they were priced and you can see that you were unfairly priced. Um, unfairly charged. Maybe you have your medical records. So the medical records also document what you're saying. You have built all of the evidence you need by following what I'm now kind of calling the never pay pathway, right? You've gathered this evidence. You send them a letter, which is a warning letter. And I have a template in the book. And you say, hey, if this isn't corrected within 30 days, I'm going to file a case against you in small claims court. And a lot of times that's enough because it signals to them, like you send that to the attorney for the hospital, let's just say it's a hospital, or the CEO's office, ignore the billing department. The billing department is usually reading a script. They'll offer to put you on a payment plan, which just creates more debt for you as a consumer. So when you actually take it out of the playing field where they make all the rules and all the rules are set in their favor, you take it into an independent playing field that our justice system has set up for exactly these kinds of disputes. And it is so empowering to the consumer because now the hospital has to go before a judge and defend their unfair billing practices. So that's what I've been helping consumers do. I've documented a lot of cases in the book where other patient advocates and consumers have done this for themselves. Um, I'll give you an example. A, a guy who lives near me here in New Jersey, he had a um, case where he needed a CPAP machine. That's a breathing machine that blows air into your airway passage at night so that you right. can breathe at night. Apnea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so for sleep apnea, right. 
So he had an insurance policy. He had a high deductible plan, which just means he had to pay like the first $10,000 of his bill or maybe it was 5,000. But anyway, it's very common these days. You know, the consumer has to pay so much before the health plan even pays anything. Right. And his insurer had a rule that said he had to rent the machine for 15 months before he could um, have it paid for. Wow. And unfortunately, the, the, the rental was over $100 a month. So he would have had to pay like $1,500 for the CPAP machine. And he looked up the retail price and it was about a $500 machine. So he was like, why can't I just pay 500? I'm, I'm paying a high deductible. So it's all coming out of my pocket. I'll pay you 500 for the machine. That's fair. But you can't make me pay 1500 for a $500 machine. They refused to comply. So he sued them in what's called the special civil branch in New Jersey, which still doesn't require an attorney, but the limits are higher up to 15,000 here in New Jersey on that, in that court. So he sued them in that branch and Immediately after they got his lawsuit, he got a call from the attorney who represented the device company that was giving him the, the bill and the machine. And they, they negotiated a fair price of $600. He paid the 600. It was a little more than he would have paid retail, but it was fair. And that was that. It was settled. And what, because what wow. happens is they don't want to have to defend these unfair practices in court. That would be a lot of cases also. It would be a lot of cases, right. And so I like to think of this like, we think of these like David and Goliath battles, right? Where I'm an individual consumer. What power do I have? I'm going up against this giant of a hospital system or insurance company or device supplier. How can we win these battles, right? We're weak and we're powerless. But small claims court really arms us and empowers us. And we need to realize there's about 180 million Davids, just like us, all over the country. It's so weird because we all share this universal problem of high healthcare costs. And if all of us started to push back and ask questions and get itemized bills and check the prices and then sue them in small claims court when they were not being fair to us, they would be crippled because they would have to pay hundreds of dollars an hour to defend all those cases, which is not worth it for them. It's worth a lot to us and it costs us nothing to fight it. It's worth nothing to them and costs them a lot to fight it. I think it would force them to change their practices. And so I have seen another one, a friend of mine at my church was being overcharged by his dentist. His wife had had a root canal. They didn't run it properly through their insurance plan. And so they just billed them about $300 on their credit card. This dispute went on for years. The dentist would not return their calls. The dentist would not refund their money. And so I told my friend, I was like, you should just sue him in small claims court. Well, sure enough, he filed a case in small claims court. Again, it only costs about $30 to file a small claims case. It takes about five minutes to fill out the paperwork. It is so easy, you can't even mm -hmm. believe it. See, that's so, so interesting because I hear small claims court and I think, wow, that sounds very extreme and time consuming, but maybe it's not. It's super easy, but here's what it is. It's stressful. Right. You don't want to ignore the fact that we have to defend ourselves against these things. It's confrontational. It's uncomfortable, right? And you're going to make them mad. I guarantee you're going to make them mad. And they're going to have their attorney call you. They're going to squeal and complain. They might even threaten you because... Now, all of a sudden, they're being held accountable for behavior that they cannot defend. So it is uncomfortable. It's confrontational. 
but it's super easy to do. It's easy to do the steps. It's hard on the emotional side. So this so, isn't something that everyone is going to want to do, right? A lot of people are going to be like, I don't want to do that. Well, you know what? I mean, if you're not willing to do it, they will send that bill to collections if you don't pay it. So it's going to hurt your credit. But I also know, Carrie, I mean, you probably know this too, like some people, like people with my personality, for example, <laughs> we might be itching for a fight. I would love to sue somebody in small claims court. You you cheat me, you rip me off, tell me how to do it, I'm going to do it. In fact, I, I have a story in the book. I did this for the first time myself when I was 16 years old. Wow. I took a former employer to court because he did not pay us what we deserved when he shut down the business. And my friend and I wrote up the case, 16-year-old mm -hmm. kids. We had no power. We had no authority. We didn't know hardly anything. I barely knew how to drive. <laughs> I sued him in small claims court. And to my shock, the day of the hearing, I show up and the owner of that company and his attorney, who I had never had a conversation with this man. I mean, he was a powerful, wealthy man. He had to show up in court to respond to me, a 16 year old kid. And the judge just read my um, description of the case. And he looked at my former boss and he said, hey, is what this kid's saying true? And the boss goes, well, yeah. <laughs> and the judge says, then you need to give this kid his money. Wow. And he wrote me a check on the spot. So it sounds hard. It's actually extremely easy. And it's designed just for these types of disputes. And so in the book, I show people, again, never pay the first bill is the title of the book. I have a chapter on how to do this. I have templates for letters that you can send to people. I have write-ups of how other people have done this. And I'm actually creating now a healthcare curriculum. I've created what I'm calling Allen Health Academy. And I'm turning it into a series, the book, the content in the book, I'm turning into a series of on-demand videos, really short, three to five minutes each. And this is really for employers who sponsor health plans to add this as a health literacy curriculum component to their health plan so that employees can be empowered and equipped to take on these different situations and know how to handle them. Because I think up till now, we're kind of paralyzed because it seems so complicated. It seems very scary. It's very intimidating. We haven't had people explain to us how this system actually works. Well, I want to ask you about that because to be quite honest, this sounds like a lot of steps, which you acknowledge. It's a lot of steps to review a bill. You know, you're looking up medical codes and calling insurance companies and filing complaints, small claims court if you need to. And I think a lot of busy people who have the finances to cover it might say, you know what, maybe it's easier to just pay the bill and move on. What yeah. is your response to that? Well, that's nice to be wealthy. Yeah, so exactly. For, yeah, yeah it's, so, it's so that's great. I mean, that's, that's the thing is that for people who have the money, they're going to decide that their time is more valuable than their money and they'll just pay the bills they'll be fine. They'll continue to be fine because they're wealthy enough not to worry about it. However, Americans have said year after year on Gallup polls that healthcare costs are their number one financial concern. And so the, the median income, I think wealthy people don't realize this a lot of times, but the median income for a family of four in this country is $62,000 a year. And so when you're looking at the out-of-pocket maxes, deductibles of $5,000, $10,000, and you're looking at a typical American family that makes about 62,000 a year, 
these are unbearable healthcare costs. Many American families, um, again, the Federal Reserve did a study that showed that many American families don't have more than $400 in their bank account. So the rich people, hey, you know what? They're going to be like, why would I bother? Well, yeah, that's because you're rich. You can afford it. So overpay, and then you save yourself the time and you save yourself the hassle. But most Americans are in a position where saving, I, I look at it like paying myself hundreds of dollars an hour to save my money instead of giving them my money, right? So for, for, me, for me and for a lot of people, our money is more valuable than our time. <laughs> you know, like right. we don't have enough money, but we could put a few hours into this. And sometimes it's easy, like with my bill where they just didn't run it through my insurance. That took me about 10 minutes and I saved $250. Sometimes it's hard where you're getting bullied by a hospital. They're demanding that you pay a bill and you have to sue them in small claims court. That's going to take stress. That's going to take emotion. That's going to take research. But I'll tell you what's nice about it is you are standing up for yourself against a bully that has been accustomed to pushing you around and it works. It has worked over and over again. I've talked to lots of patient advocates who do it. I've helped people do it. And I've done it myself, like my, um, my friend at church. So he ended up suing his dentist. The dentist had refused to comply with all of his demands for a refund until he filed the case. Then after he filed the case, he got a call from the dentist's attorney. They settled the case. And the dentist wrote him a check for the money he owed him. And it was done. Hmm. But until you actually use the power of court to leverage the authority of our judicial system against the person who's harming you, you don't have any power. So you, you actually do have to take that step if you want to be empowered and if you want to win. But for rich people, they might say, why bother? But I also know there's a lot of rich people who still don't like to be taken advantage of and don't like to be bullied. And so for them, they might just have the satisfaction of standing up for themselves. They might also be able to see it as a mission where they can stand up for other people who aren't able to stand up for themselves. So I think every time we take on this battle, we're winning ourselves, but we're also setting an example and blazing a trail so that other consumers hopefully have a more fair encounter in their future. You know, and that's, I think that's the kind of pushback we need. We've never had it in this country where consumers have really been empowered and, and really stood up for themselves. Right. I do want to get back to something we were talking about before, because you give people some suggestions in your book on how they can avoid this surprise bill altogether. And it involves asking more questions before you get care. So tell us some of the key issues that you can and should cover with a doctor or a hospital ahead of time. If you're obviously able to, it's not an emergency situation. Well, so one thing to do is always get the cash price. And you might find that that cash price is lower than your insured payment plan. And then also you have the price up front, you've agreed to the price and you pay it at the moment of the encounter or soon after the encounter. And you're not getting bills sent to you that are unexpected or surprising or overpriced. So that's one thing you can do. Another thing is make sure that you need the care in the first place. Overtreatment and unnecessary care is an epidemic in this country. And the question that I like to um, tell people they should ask, whenever your doctor or your physical therapist or nurse practitioner or whoever it is 
is recommending, well, we want to put you on this drug, or we, we think that you should go have this imaging test or go to this lab or whatever. The question that we should be asking is, what's the worst thing that happens to me if I don't do this? What happens if we wait? Is there any way that we could just wait and see and see how I progress? Is it actually necessary for, for me to do this right now? And make the doctor frame it for you in terms of what your condition might be like if you don't do anything. That, that's just a way, it doesn't mean that you don't get the treatment that they're recommending, but it, it just means that you are getting them to frame it in terms of what happens if you don't do it instead of assuming that you're just gonna do it. Right. Often doing more is not better. And then a third thing is be aware of the extreme price variation in the healthcare system. So if you know that you need something, don't just go to the first place that the doctor steers you, especially if it's a hospital system, when it could be for a service that you could get outside of the hospital. So those are the three things I would recommend is ask for the cash price, ask what happens if we wait to try and avoid unnecessary care. You can also look for unnecessary care. Look at the US Preventive Services Task Force. This is an independent panel of experts that serves our country by analyzing the latest and most reputable medical evidence and making recommendations, especially about preventive types of things like mammograms or prostate screening. They make recommendations about who actually benefits from these preventive services and who may not benefit from them. There's a lot of overtreatment that happens in that area that we can avoid if we, if we look up the guidelines from independent experts and then follow them. That makes sense. So when you go to the doctor, they sometimes give you the option to put your credit card on file with their office, you know, saying it's for your convenience to do this. Should you do that? I don't. I mean, if you trust your doctor, I don't I don't I wouldn't have a problem with that with my doctor. But I just want to know when they're charging it. I mean, I, I would have to know, well, you're not allowed to charge this card unless you need to. How long do you think it usually takes to resolve these kinds of billing issues? Well, like I said, sometimes it takes five minutes and sometimes it takes months. So if you're if you're taking someone to small claims court, that's at the end of a stage of a process where you have gotten the itemized medical bill. That's actually quite easy to do with a phone call. They should be able to send you that the same day. So getting an itemized medical bill is quite easy. Getting your medical records is very easy. You just request them from the records department of your doctor or hospital. It's also very easy. Contesting the bill, looking up the billing codes is also very easy. And most of these things, by the way, I'm talking about a quick episode of care, not a lengthy hospital stay or something like that, where you're having a pages and pages of an itemized bill. I'm talking about relatively simple, uh, low dollar things when I say this. If you have a very complicated case, I would say get a patient advocate. There are a lot of professional patient advocates. They do charge a fee for their services, but they are experts in navigating this system. And so if you have something complicated, mm -hmm. like a lengthy hospital stay, or maybe a, a really rare or chronic condition, I would consult a patient advocate if you can afford one, because doing this yourself in that case is really difficult. So it's not that it takes many hours. It's just that it lingers over time. And that, that can be sense. stressful for people. And that can be a pain to have to deal with this thing for weeks or for months. 
because the billing department doesn't get back to you. And where it gets more sticky is once you're trying to contest some unfair charges. That's when, of course, the hospital isn't just going to roll over. Sometimes they will, sometimes they won't. Sometimes you can call your doctor and ask them to make sure it gets changed and they'll change it. Or you call the billing department and you show them, hey, you know what? My records show that this, I didn't even receive this service. You need to remove that from the bill and they will fix it immediately. So you, you never know how easy or how, how hard it's going to be. But if you're reaching the end stage where you're suing them in small claims court, that's a process that takes weeks or months. And it's not that it took you a lot of hours. In fact, I would say the hours are minimal. You might be looking at two or three hours total for that entire process, but you've had to deal with the hassle for a long time. And that is a pain. So it is costly on the, the way it's a distraction, but it's not necessarily costly in terms of the number of hours. That makes sense. You write about a few of your own experiences with contesting medical bills. And I'm wondering how covering this issue has changed your view of your role as a consumer or as a patient when it comes to healthcare. It has changed it a lot. I think that we need to be aware that the financial side of the healthcare system is often geared to exploit our sickness for profit. Not everybody's like that. Not every hospital like that is like that. Not every doctor is like that. And it's something that's built into the system. It's allowed. It's not illegal. Uh, upcoding and fraud, those are illegal. But you know, charging high prices is not illegal. It's just the way they play the game. Mm. And so what we need to do is reward the people who are fair and steer our business to them and avoid the people who are unfair and the institutions that are unfair. And then I think that what we have is we do have the power here. And we don't often think of it that way because we're being treated and we're in a vulnerable position when we get the treatment. But we do have a lot of power because we have the money and our employers have the money um, that's coming through the employer-sponsored health plans. And so if we can be smart consumers and reward the medical providers and institutions that are treating us fairly and cut off the ones who are not, the ones who are not are not going to keep getting our business. And I think, I think that's what we need to do is just realize, let's go to the people who are good and fair and give us a fair value and let's cut out the other ones. And they need our money like they need oxygen to breathe. Mm -hmm. So if we, if we cut off our money, they will feel it. And I think they will change. Marshall Allen, thank you so much for all of this really useful information. And thank you for your reporting on this. And thanks for talking with us about it. Thank you, Carrie. I want to encourage people. You can go to my website and sign up for my newsletter. It's marshallallen.com. And that way you can stay up to date with things I'm doing with the book or things I'm doing with the curriculum. And I also have um, a tab on there for victory stories. I really love it. And I want to share more stories of people who want to share a tip or a tactic that they used to get a better deal or fight the system and win. And I, and I hope employers will share those and also um, individual consumers, because I want to build the momentum for this movement and overcome this myth that there's really nothing we can do or that it's so hard that we shouldn't do it. We all need to flip this mindset so that we realized we can fight back and win. Right. And 
these these people have done it and had success and you can too that's that's that would right. be great to know that would be very empowering thank you that's that's my goal that's great thank you again for your time thank you carrie Thanks so much for joining us today. Hope everyone has a great week and we'll talk to you next time.